Hello, welcome to the Mikey Pod podcast, episode 250 for February 12th, 2018. Today's guest is photojournalist and amazing person, Joanne MacArthur. And I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and vegan activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with activists and artists who are artists and activists and creators and people who intertwine their work with such things. I've been sending this podcast to your ear for a little over 12 years. Uh, you can subscribe looking on the website. Look at the website. <laughs> Right-hand side. The website, by the way, is MikeyPod.com. In the right sidebar or at the bottom, the footer of the website, you'll see these bright, colorful buttons. You can click on the one that corresponds to the type of thing you'd like to use to subscribe. It could be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, tune in. You could talk to your A-L-E-X-A about it. And um, yeah, I, I spelled that so I wouldn't trigger your A-L-E-X-A because that's just how considerate I am. So if you are still confused about what to do to subscribe to this podcast, don't hesitate to send me an email, mikeypod at gmail.com, or you can find me on social media anywhere as at Michael Heron. I really want to make this accessible, and podcasting is a really cool thing. I think a lot of people know about it now, but if you don't, don't feel bad. Just reach out, and I'll help you get it set up. And uh, while we're on the subject of that, I should mention that I am an affiliate with Blueberry.com, which is the site that hosts this podcast, the actual files, and um, distributes it through their PowerPress plugin. Um, If you are thinking about setting up a podcast, A, yes, you should do this, and B, use my, uh, what do you call it, discount code, MikeyPod at Blueberry and you'll get a free month of hosting or a free month of stats, depending on which type of thing you want to do. And again, I would love to help you set this up. I think it's a really, really cool way to have like DIY people sharing their viewpoints. Uh, This is a place where I can talk about my work or the work of people that inspire me and I can share music and stuff with you and I just love it. It's really, really a cool thing and it's not so hard, maybe a little time consuming, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So uh, yeah, that's my little plug about that. Also, I have discount code with uh, DreamHost, which is who hosts my sites. I also really enjoy them. So you can go to MikeyPod.com to find links for that. That concludes this little blurb in the beginning. Did I mention? Nope. Leave a voicemail if you'd like. I would love for you to leave a voicemail. I can play it on the show. 347-460-1753. And yeah, I mentioned all the other stuff. Listen, I just want to acknowledge... Um, I don't know how to talk about this because I'm a dumb guy, I guess. I don't know. I'm paying attention to what's going on uh, with the Me Too movement. There's a lot brewing up in the animal rights movement as well. I'm noticing, and I don't know what else to say about that. Um, I made a point of featuring women on today's podcast as my feeble, somewhat awkward attempt to do a little bit better. And I'm featuring women today who all of three of them, there are three artists. Um, the main, the interview is Joanne MacArthur, photojournalist, amazing. Uh, Joy Askew, you'll be hearing music from her today too. And Eve Beglarian, both are women, uh, people, <laughs> women people who make music and who I've also really been able to uh, connect with and learn from. And I, all three women on the show I really look up to. So it's kind of, I really feel excited and and sort of full of gratitude for the women in my world. And yeah, I guess that sums it up pretty well. 
A little check-in about the Animal Show book and album. If you're just listening for the first time, I'll give you a brief rundown. I perform a show called The Animal Show, which I wrote while in residence at Animal Farm, uh, Animal Farm, Tamerlane Farm Animal Sanctuary. And um, it's a multimedia show, electronic music, string quartet, piano, storytelling, video. And um, I'm making a book with my friend Luke Curtis of bdstudios.com. So the book is in progress. Just yesterday, I finished the bulk of the manuscript that's going to be in the book. Uh, the book will be released in three forms, a book book with pages. Isn't it funny that that requires explanation? A um, Like a Kindle-style PDF book and an iBook, which will have a whole multimedia layer. It's pretty spectacular. It's going to... Oh, I'm really excited. I'm excited about the entire project, but uh, especially this. Um, we're gathering, like I've been digging in my archives of um, interviews, like conversations I recorded for the podcast that wound up not being on the podcast. Um, there's a video. If you've seen the show, there's a loop that I pulled of some chanting we did at this particular protest. Um, I found the video that where that loop originated. So you'll be able to open the iBook and in that story, you'll be able to click and see video from the actual protests that I was talking about. It's an iPhone video, but I think that makes it even cooler, like, because there's, it's a lot of, like, cool layers happening there. Uh, man, it's going to be deep. And um, then I'm recording an album. Actually, next weekend, I'm going in the studio to read, to record the string quartet uh, and the piano parts for the album. Uh, this thing is happening. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's happening. So um, that's, that's where I'm at with that. The, I was calling the release date May, mid-May, it may take a little bit longer than that. I'm going to talk with uh, Luke uh, today, as a matter of fact, and we're going to figure out exactly when a safer day to be, would be to uh, call the release date. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that. Um, finally, there is um, some new bonus content that I'm releasing with this podcast to my subscribers on Patreon. Well, I want to make this, I want to explain this to you guys on the podcast. Um, just so you know, but I'm worried that it's going to sound complicated and it really isn't. So here's what's happening. If you are a subscriber on Patreon, you can always find everything on Patreon, the bonus content, this podcast, anything else I post for patrons will be there. That might be the easiest place to go. I have added, however, um, some, the ability to post bonus content at MikeyPod.com. So I'm going to put the bonus podcasts there as well. All right. So if that sounds too complicated, just stay at just stay at Patreon. Everything is going to be there. If you want to have your own special RSS feed for the bonus content, you'll see it there on those protected posts. So you can subscribe separately to that bonus content. And then of course, there's the RSS feed that you probably are using right now to listen to the main podcast. That's the thing that you're using to like find the show in iTunes or Stitcher or any of those places. One last RSS feed. If you're on Patreon, if you're a subscriber, you can look on the right-hand column at the very top. There's a place where you have your own very special RSS feed to everything I release on Patreon. So that's another thing you can subscribe to. Sorry if you're not a Patreon person that I just put you through all that. That section of the show is now complete. <sighs> if you like this Always Free podcast or the many other things I create, tell a friend, leave a review, like, subscribe, all the things, and especially I'd love your support at patreon.com slash Michael Heron. Sorry, I thought just said Michael. This is how you can get in on this. And listen, I want to, just to illustrate what's happening. Next weekend, I'm going in the studio with four string players to make this album. I'm releasing it independently in, in conjunction with uh, Luke and his publishing company, bdstudios.com. 
a small like boutique publishing company. We're making this thing just like, okay, let's make it. Um, I love making that kind of stuff. I don't have endless money. Something you can do to help, like the my expense for next Saturday for recording for the four string players and the engineer and the recording studio is about $1,200. Um, and that's just, Patreon is covering uh, nearly half of that. Um, but if you subscribe, you can help foot that cost too um, and help create this music. Yeah, so there you go. Michael Heron, uh, pa- patreon.com slash Michael Heron. Done. Joanne MacArthur, amazing photojournalist. If you haven't seen the film, The Ghosts in Our Machine, you shall do that immediately upon finishing this podcast. It is about Joanne and her undercover work, mostly in the film she's uh, doing fur farms, taking pictures of this horrific, horrific stuff. Humans are terrible to animals. That's no surprise to anyone, or it shouldn't be. If it is, well, now you're surprised to do something about it and go vegan today. Great, thanks. <laughs> Glad we had this talk. Uh, so I want to play, before we get to the interview, as I like to do, here's a track from my friend, also vegan musician, Joy Askew. And this track is called I'm Still Looking for a Home. And after this, we'll hear from Joanne. There's a sound of voices singing as I lay awake. Stop the flow of this love 
Joining me now on the podcast is Joanne MacArthur, uh, who I'm thrilled to be talking to. Thank you so much, Joanne, for joining me. Hey, good morning. Thanks for inviting me. So Joanne, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is a photographer, a photojournalist, and um, an amazing person. I, I think of you as like this combination. On the podcast lately, I've been focusing on people who uh, create art in connection with something they're super passionate about. Generally, it's been veganism because that's just the circles I run in. Uh, so it's great to talk to you. And, you know, I guess I should ask, do you think of yourself as an activist or, or where are you in that space? Yeah, I've, I've uh, shifted back and forth along that line in my career through, you know, between thinking of myself purely as a photojournalist and as an activist and and for quite some time i um i have to admit that the camera is simply a tool for the activism so therefore i would be an activist first um but i mean you know that saying that doesn't really help further my career when it comes to getting published in the mainstream i mean mainstream you know, media, and rightly so, they want subjective journalists. They don't, they don't want to think of you as an activist first. It's, um, they're, uh, sorry, objective, an objective journalist, not a subjective. So activism equals way too much subjectivity for the mainstream. So, you know, I, I'm kind of known as an animal rights photojournalist, but um, depending on who I'm pitching to, I often just say photojournalist or, you know, someone who focuses on animal issues around the, around the globe. Did, did your uh, passion for animal rights and veganism come before which which in real time uh, yeah. not in terms of priority which which was became a part of your life first your your uh, awareness of animal rights or your photography photography was always an a massive love and obsession really uh, not only looking at pictures and thinking about pictures but then when I took my first black and white printing course oh my gosh I realized I was going to do it for the rest of my life and for me, the camera really is an all-access pass into the lives of others. It was a way for me to satisfy my curiosity about the world. And, and so that tool, uh, that tool took me around the world, you know, and I, 
I'm an, I'm an adventurous person. I love to travel. I love to meet people. I love to find out why we do the things we do. And then, you know, as, as we photographers do, we're always looking for our particular story that we can shoot that is unique. And I realized over some time that I could combine all of my passions, which was photography and travel and my concern for animals. People often just assume that I love animals, which I, you know, which I do, but I also, or more to the point, have a concern for animals and how we treat them. And so I started photographing the invisible animals, as I call them. Um, you know, not the not the megafauna that we see on the cover of National Geographic, um, not the companion animals, but you know, the animals we eat, the animals we wear, and so that required a lot of investigative work and going to all sorts of terrible places. And you've been to terrible places like I, I probably don't even really know the full breadth of where you've been I mean and one of the things that struck me I was going to sort of bring this in later but I, this is a perfect time to ask in your talk at uh, the Culture and Animals Foundation Fest there was so much or, or I picked up a really strong sense of hope from you which I found really surprising um, so I guess the first question is, did I pick that up correctly? Do you have a lot of hope? And I guess the second part is, how, how, how do you do that considering what you've seen? Yeah, uh, you are correct. And hope is my focus because it has to be in order for me to be able to do this painful and terrible work uh, to see all the things that I see and, and get through it. I mean, I have to be doing it for a reason. Um, and luckily... And truthfully, I do believe that people are compassionate. And I have seen so many compassionate changes. I've, I've met so many incredible people working hard to change things for the better for animals. And so though I could, you know, spend way more time feeling depressed and feeling exhausted and down about what we do to animals, billions of animals every day, uh, I don't live there, you know, emotionally, I don't live there because it doesn't serve me, it'll burn me out. And I need to be positive, I need to be healthy and forward thinking for the animals so that I can do my work. And also because that inspires people. And it, frankly, like it inspires me as well to, to be happy and hopeful rather than uh, being depressed. I don't even remember what it was you said in that talk, or the things that you're saying now are both things that I think I like, in, in terms of timeline of being sort of immersed in putting myself in situations where I see how brutal human beings are to animals. I think it's going to take me some time to sort of live in the space where you are, though I am there sometimes. But hearing you say it is very encouraging. Um, I mean, I keep seeing change. And that's the focus of my uh, current major project called the Unbound Project about women on the front lines of animal advocacy. And I'm doing this project because everywhere I go, I see incredible trailblazing change makers who are inspiring a lot of people. Um, and this is a focus mainly on women because um, typically in Europe and North America anyway, the animal rights movement has been led by women. 60 to 80 percent are the numbers. And so this is a project that celebrates that. But really, I mean, everywhere I go, I'm just so impressed with the, the creative thinking that's going into how to change the world for animals, whether these are lawyers, neuroscientists, sanctuary founders. Um, yeah, so I mean, I really do see it. That's the thing about my work is, I mean, I'm traveling to document 
uh, the atrocities happening, but everywhere I go, I'm banded together with amazing people trying to change it. I, I didn't know yet that that was what your next project was. It's a perfect time for that. Because in the States, we're still behind in that area, right? Like, we have a lot of kind of, as, a, as an old white guy, I can say, <laughs> there's lots of old white guys, like, for whatever reason, in leadership positions in the animal rights movement. And that seems to be sort of crumbling right now, which I'm sort of happy to observe. Um, but I'm happy that you're, it feels like your book is going to be something that will support that as well. It's very timely. Um, and we're happy about that. You know, maybe the book is overdue. And, um, but we're really, we're really happy to be doing it. I call it a book. It will be a book probably by 2020. But for now, we're putting out uh, articles, photo essays, uh, about all sorts of people. We featured women in Colombia, Nepal, uh, China, and also the Unbound Project uh, became a granting body this year. So we're able to support women uh, financially as well in their projects. So last year we gave out $100,000 in grants, which we are just so thrilled about. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah, so happy. Partly why I'm really excited to talk to you is that you've been able to do something that I would really like to do with my work, and that is create... Um, well, two things, have it be something that, that supports itself. Um, and then also now this whole idea that, that your vision and correct me if I'm putting this together in the wrong way, your vision and your work, it's now supporting other artists. Is is that, yeah. Was there, was there a time in your career when that wasn't the truth? That wasn't the thing that was happening. Yeah. And, and if you can, can you tell maybe a timeline of what happened and how you got to where you, you were able to, your work was able to support itself? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's actually, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I'm really interested in that. I'm interested in new business models and how we can forge different paths other than like the typical career path. Um, we have to think creatively and it's, it's fun to do that for me. Um, so, you know, um, I was, you know, one person with a camera for for many years going out telling the animal stories, but I needed to support this with my commercial photography business. So um, I ran my own business and I worked with other photographers uh, doing commercial work, food photography. I've shot 600 weddings, probably over that uh, in my life. So all of that funded uh, the quote unquote good stuff, uh, which was my animal work. And the thing is about you know, getting these these creative projects to be self-sustaining, you have to put in the time. And that's what I emphasize to people listening to this is that these things aren't going to happen overnight and nor should they because you have to build a reputation. You have to show that you're sticking around. You have to show that you're doing consistently good work and also helping others. I mean, I, I give all of my animal images away for free to anyone helping animals. And I've had to build a reputation of doing this so that people will want to support me. Um, so we've had, you know, I guess it started six, seven years ago where people started, you know, donating a few dollars a month. And then that grew and grew. Then we joined Patreon. Then we started getting grants and um, some anonymous donations as well. And all of that has led to being able to hire an editor, filmmaker, communications director. Uh, we're able to grant people doing animal work. Uh, we're granting specifically to people helping farmed animals. Um, yeah, so it's it's really grown into a project now. So We Animals was me, and now now it's uh, a team, and I no longer have to do the commercial work. Uh, 
I love it. <laughs> All the hope is coming through this podcast today. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I always like to ask people how your how their their form of advocacy or activism affects their work. And it's sort of, I mean, it seems obvious how yours does because of the type of work that you do. But I wonder, is there any way that, that, you know, veganism or your passion for animal rights affects your work that may not be immediately apparent? They, they are one and the same. Uh, like basic, basically the camera is my outlet for creating change. I mean, I, and that's what I, that's what I tell people is, you know, okay, you know, I do photography to make the world a better place, but what can you do? And what you can do is whatever you're good at and whatever you love doing. And that's where you will find longevity in, in, in the projects that you want to do to help animals or help the environment, whatever it is. So coming back to the people we're featuring in Unbound, whether they are uh, lawyers or scientists and that kind of thing, you can always use your skills to make the world a better place. And so my, uh, my desire to make the world a better place and my work, my career have wonderfully combined and it took time as I mentioned, uh, but I did get there and there's nowhere I would rather be than doing this work every day. From, from an outside perspective, you observe some very difficult things to observe, but it's your love for shining a light on these things that keeps you able to go to these places and witness these things. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty can, beautiful thing. I can continue to do it because I know it's creating change. And sometimes it's one person at a time, you know, one person per day. And then sometimes I get to speak to a crowd of 400 people and tell stories and show them images. And, um, or sometimes an article comes out that, you know, a million people will see. So, yeah, I think, I think like just just knowing that the images are reaching people is what propels me forward because I mean it's it's horrible work honestly going going to fur farms going to you know farms where there are 10,000 sows and crates that can't turn around and they're living in their own filth and these are the realities whether I'm seeing this in Australia, Sweden, Canada um, you know these are the realities of of how animals live the mechanisms are the same the companies are are the same these big corporations who you know create these spaces in these mechanized spaces in which they live uh was there a first moment that you realized that your work uh your photojournalism work was having the effect that you were hoping it would um well there was certainly a first moment where i saw that i saw animals differently than other people and uh, the quick story about that was I was hiking in Ecuador and there was a monkey chained up and everyone was crowding around this monkey to take pictures. They're like, oh, cute. No, no, no. And I was taking pictures because I thought this is horrible and I want to show these pictures to show the world or anyone who will listen. Like, this is terrible. Look at this. And I was like, man, I feel like an island right now around these people. And and I, and I realized that my pictures were more valuable than their pictures. I mean, they were just taking, you know, tourist snaps. And I was like, okay, yeah, like the camera, this is like, this is really a tool for change. I mean, I knew that, but that was an instance where it solidified for me. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I realized like, yeah, I mean, I can create documents of things that need to be changed and show people. You know, like seeing your captive photos, it's so amazing seeing your photographs and people take photographs of animals in zoos all the time yeah um but just uh, 
what maybe a slight i don't know if it's a slight shift of perspective it's not it's not a slight shift at all is it because you're coming from an entirely different standpoint i mean you're using the word standpoint there and that's an interesting choice of words because as you're pointing out here people take photographs at zoos and aquaria every day and i am literally standing right next to those people taking the exact same picture so how am i going to make mine different and that's one of the fun parts of photography um i mean and it's it's a bit awkward saying that because it's actually quite devastating to be standing there photographing you know an orca swimming in circles or an elephant pacing back and forth so i don't mean the situation is fun but it's um it's a fun challenge to get something different than what everyone else is is photographing and i can do that and for me it's about showing the animal in the context of the constructs in which we've we're keeping this animal captive and it's about showing how we interact or fail to interact with and around these animals. And so we go, we take selfies. I mean, that book has a lot of people taking selfies um, in front of animals. They're not even looking at this poor elephant who's alone or they're going on a date and that's why they're at the zoo or they go and like, I, you know, kids are high and they're just throwing entire baguettes to the zebras and they think it's hilarious and so what are these institutions for? What are they really for? Uh, what they say they're for is very different than what actually happens there. And so that was my, my goal with the captive images was to um, show us, um, you know, hopefully make us feel a little bit ridiculous when we see these images. Um, the, the paintings we put on the walls behind, you know, the gorillas, the jungle motifs and this kind of thing, it's humiliating not only to us, but probably to them as well. And so, yeah, that's what I was trying to highlight. And that's what the book is about. I'm seeing the animal's perspective, too. You know, somehow you're able to capture or, or communicate what the animal might be feeling in that situation in a way that's really uh, profound to me. Well, it's... Um, I am trying to do that in some cases. I'm trying to show the loneliness. And I've had to go back to see the same animals, you know, sometimes for days and days in a row. And there's an elephant named Gina in southern France. And, you know, day one, I was like, oh, gosh, this is terrible. Like, here she is. She doesn't even have a tree to stand under and she can't go inside in this blazing sun. So she's out all day alone. And then I, you know, went back to my hostel and I had dinner and I you know, chose to do everything that I was going to do that evening. And then I went back the next day and I was like, oh, she's here. You know, she's, she hasn't had any choice. And then I had to go back the day the day after as well to try and get these really good poignant pictures of her. And I mean, she has been alone for 15 years and 17 years since I took that picture. And I mean, it's just so incredibly unfair. My heart aches thinking about it. And I, you know, I want people's hearts to ache as well and I want change like come on this is this you know keeping animals alone keeping animals in small enclosures is so antiquated it's embarrassing it's humiliating to us really yeah and that I, I think that comes through as well that idea that I mean as a vegan animal rights activist I feel embarrassed when I see that but I I think <laughs> the like the outside world, <laughs> you know, the people that haven't quite like awakened to this same perspective that I have must see that too. It's in, in your photographs. I mean, yeah. and that's, yeah, they, they do. And, and people also see it when they are there um, because I've spent months and months and months and months at zoos and aquaria. 
I hear people say quietly, oh, that's so sad. Or a kid saying like, mommy, why is that bear, you know, turning in circles? And, you know, they just move on. They're like, oh, you know, they, the parents look at each other guiltily. And, but I mean, these emotions are painful. And these ideas, if we allow them to really percolate in our minds, we're not going to like it because we're complicit in that cruelty. And so we would rather just disregard these painful feelings uh, or painful reactions than actually explore them. Because, you know, if you explore those emotions, then, well, I guess you can't take the kids to the zoo anymore. And, you know, but that's what people do. They go to the zoo. So all, all sorts of things happening there. It, it's pretty hard to reach people. And hopefully the images are just, and they are, you know, one very small piece of the puzzle in terms of getting people to think critically. Yeah. Um, it's a very important part of the puzzle too. Um, I hate that we have to wrap this up, but we have to wrap this up. I could talk to you about this all day. Um, <laughs> before we do, where is the best place for people to, uh, track you down on the internet? Okay. Well, uh, thanks for asking because I'm really excited to tell everyone that in 2017, we launched the We Animals Archive. And that is a place where people can go and see over 8,000 images searchable by keyword. Uh, we created this archive so that anyone helping animals, students, uh, organizations, people, protesters, whoever, um, people could go and find images that will help them. And the images are free. And uh, so it's weanimalsarchive.org. And uh, a simple Google for We Animals will take you to all of our uh, social media platforms as well. Perfect. And I should give my uh, my vote of uh, excitement for We Animals because as I think every, you know, everyone that listens to this podcast knows, I also work on, on the Our Hen House podcast. And the uh, I use your archive sometimes for things we need for Our Hen House. And it's beautiful. It's an amazing resource. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, so thank you. You're and, so welcome. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Talk to you soon. Sitting in the car on a November afternoon, looking out at a ravine, a brutal ravine. You can't help but imagine the men trapped in there, claustrophobic, terrorized, the din of battle raging around them, as they say, steep, unstable, there's no escape, you couldn't get enough purchase to run. Today, it is mute, meaningless. That rock, this hillock, they have no particular intrinsic meaning. None at all. It's a Sunday afternoon. Mild and pleasant. I am safe and comfortable enough in my car. And miserable with rage at this woman 5,000 miles away. morning service at Bethel AME did not teach me forbearance or forgiveness. The taste of too many cigarettes, too much coffee, not enough sleep. She keeps yelling, but the distance will never be bridged. 
battle is over and no one won. We are both wounded, but nothing is solved. It will never be solved. The passions will fade, the anger burn out, and the grass will grow again, covering the pain that still smolders hidden under the grass. There are corpses there, parts of bodies incorporated in the hummocks. Not just blood on the ground, but pieces of flesh. There are no words. We are not kind to one another. That's Eve Beglarian on the battlefield from her latest EP, Songs from the River Project, Volume 3. I talk about Eva a lot when I'm talking about feeling inspired about work. And this is from a project she did, I uh, I don't know what year it was, several years ago, maybe five years ago? I don't know. Eva, if you're listening, feel free to correct me. Um, but she did a trip along the Mississippi River, kayaking, uh, cycling part of the time. Sometimes there were people, you know, sort of sag-wagoning in a van with her. But she did this whole journey, and she's been releasing music from this project uh, ever since. And I think it's a really, ah, so much, like my tour that I did last summer, the spark came from first learning about Eve's project years ago. So yay, Eve Beglarian. You should check out all her other work. It's evbvd.com. I'll put links to that and all the other websites you'll need to know on my website, mikeypod.com. And while we're talking about websites and podcasts and stuff, that's weird. Like, of course we're talking about podcasts. This is a podcast. While we're talking about podcasts, I want to start a new thing at the end of the podcast. I'm stealing from my friend Mackin, who you'll hear on um, a future episode next week. I think he's going to be on next week. Um, he hosts a podcast called The Species Podcast. Uh, it's great. And our interview is fantastic. And he's done something at the end of his podcast that I'm going to do on mine. And that is I'm going to read new reviews. Um, I get so few reviews on iTunes. The last one before the one that just came in was... March 24th, 2016. Come on, you guys. So now, two years later, here is a new a new, a new review on iTunes. And if you want to have your review read on the show, go ahead and just leave one on iTunes, and I'll read it, and then you'll be on the show. Isn't that great? Uh, this is by, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's one of those internet names, Kuhi Runner 3 and uh, they say, Michael is an incredible talent and an incredible storyteller. It is no wonder that his podcast is one of my favorites. So don't make this be a few. Oh, and thank you, P.S., person who wrote that review. And uh, don't make it another two years before I'm able to read one again. Why don't you stop by iTunes and leave a review? Or you could do it on Stitcher. You know, I never look on Stitcher. I could have tons of reviews there. Well. Wow. I'll look. And next week, maybe I can have more reviews to read. That would that be great? And honestly, it really does help me and helps the podcast become more visible if you uh, go and give a five-star rating. I'll accept four stars if you must. Um, no less than that, please. And leave a, pod, leave a review. Why not? Leave a bad review, too. Um, I could use the feedback as well. So that concludes 
this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Keep an eye on my Twitter. I'm giving away a copy of uh, Joanne's book this week, Captive. And there will be a contest rolling on Twitter probably around Wednesday. Watch out also on Wednesday for the bonus content. There's an extended interview with Joanne uh, where we talk about some other stuff. I love these interviews. Thanks for listening.